So, so this is the second part of our afternoon session thinking about um, the ends not justifying the means. Um, and here we're thinking of what appears to be an exception. And that we're looking at cooperation <coughs> in evil. But that isn't the same thing as doing evil that good may come. So, as a pictorial image here, if you imagine two different people acting, heading in two different directions. One of them is aiming to do something good. The other is aiming to do something evil. But at a certain point, their lives cross. And they're doing something that they're both involved in. Now, in what circumstances can you, in the pursuit of your good end, cooperate while someone else is pursuing an evil end? So you're not aiming at the evil, you're aiming at the good. But at a point, you intersect. This is what we're thinking about. So, page six of the notes here. Cooperation and evil. Never make yourself an accomplice in anyone else's sin, says 1 Timothy. So to repeat what we looked at earlier, one may never do evil that good may come, Romans 3.8, but if your good deed enables someone else to do their evil deed, your deed may sometimes be permissible. So we're now going to spell out some conditions that need to hold. Um, and there are a series of examples in later pages. I'm going to have to leave you to read those yourselves, just time-wise, but I want to lay out the principles for you. First, the cooperating act in itself, what you're doing at this point of intersection, that can't be intrinsically evil. So yes, you're somehow cooperating in them getting to their evil end, but what you're doing in itself isn't intrinsically evil. So as a Quoted there, licit cooperation is always a good act which is abused by another. Second condition, uh, the good pursued must be proportioned to the evil being cooperated with. For example, the pursuit of a salary would not be proportionate to cooperating in an act that had lethal consequences for others. I said, note, the gravity of evil affects the proportion in assessing immediate, i.e. direct or indirect, material cooperation. For example, abortion is a graver evil than contraception. So this is also something you need to be aware of in thinking about cooperating in evil. But the real nub of the matter comes into the question of what's called formal and material Cooperation. These are the two big um, categories to be concerned with. Now, formal cooperation, point three, is always evil. Always. Um, it's defined, as I've said there, formal cooperation lies in the will and the intention. Meaning that the will of the cooperator is set on the same evil end as the evildoer. The cooperator sees the evil end that the evil agent intends and intends to help him achieve it. So by definition, formal cooperation is always evil. So I've said earlier, 
moral will means you will evil. Even if I'm not going to do the evil deed, I'm only cooperating with someone else who is doing it. The fact I see where he's going, see the evil he's seeking, I will that he achieves it, and I do something that cooperates. That's formal cooperation. It's always wrong. This is didn't do it herself, but cooperated and wanted that evil end, willed that evil end. Yeah. That's formal cooperation. So you don't do it yourself, but you cooperate formally. And that is formal. Way. That would be formal. Yeah. Yes. Material cooperation. So you don't will the evil end, but in terms of the matter, the physical doing of what's going on, you do cooperate in that form. What about that? Well, that can be remote, or it can be close. And pretty obviously close isn't permitted, but if you're somehow remote, that is permitted. So, point four. Remote material cooperation is sometimes morally permissible. Material cooperation provides the matter for the evil deed being cooperated with, while the will of the cooperator is in pursuit of a different good. Either evil end is foreseen but not intended. Now, to make some distinctions here. Material cooperation can be distinguished as A, close, sometimes called proximate, which is never morally permissible. In close cooperation can be either direct or indirect. So direct, which would sometimes be called immediate, is always close. One example, helping a thief carry away stolen goods. So I didn't take the television out of the guy's house, but I helped, I carried it for the thief who did. That would be close cooperation. Direct or immediate material cooperation, in our view, is the contribution of the cooperator to circumstances that are essential to the commission of the principal agent's immoral act and is not listed. So that's close and direct. It can also be close but indirect or immediate which is sometimes close and sometimes remote, indirect. For example, supplying a thief with the tools he needs for the burglary. So it's not direct, but it is close. Indirect cooperation involves an act that precedes or follows the act itself, but is not so intimately connected with the sin of the age. So if I know about somebody who's going to commit the act, I know it's wrong, and he's told me he's doing it and I do nothing, am I...? Knowledge is irrelevant on one factor. So we are presuming here that you know everything that's happening. The question is, you know, but are you close or are you remote? 
So the fact that you know doesn't mean that you're not close, or rather, that doesn't mean you're not remote. I might know, but only be remotely involved. So what we're presuming here is you know. It's not ignorance that's a factor here. A few ignorances, I'm going to kill so-and-so. Can I know about it enough? Am I? That's what we're looking at here. Um, so, so, so we're presuming you know. If you're ignorant, then all of this is irrelevant. But if I know and he has told me? Um, then we need to know whether it's remote or close. Yeah. That's what we're, what we're trying to pull apart here. Yeah. Um, what if you suspect? <laughs> if you suspect... Sorry, it's a warning. Yeah, yeah. So if you suspect you have a duty to find out, so you know, back to the question of moral certitude, I have a duty to find out enough that I feel morally certain I can act. Um, the reason I ask, I'll just mention it, David, for a minute, before we started this session. Um, I drive a taxi for a living at the moment to pay my bills. In Cardiff, prostitutes use taxis to visit clients. Right. Sometimes they disclose to me that they're on, on route to a client. Where yeah. does that put me? Because I'm providing a service, basically. Being a taxi driver isn't evil in itself. <laughs> well, <laughs> <not gonna>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just pulling the pulling the. I've not thought of this before, so I'm, I'm not, I didn't think this through. You're not cooperating formally because you don't will what she's going to do. No. Um, I think what you're doing is does seem close. Yeah. Um, Let me think about that. Let's go through these criteria yeah, here sorry. and maybe come back to it. Because um, it's a question of whether your circumstances are essential to the commission of the prostitute's immoral act. Or whether your circumstances are real circumstances, but they're not essential. When I was a clergyman, I, taught, I used to talk because they were in my area. Mm. I used to talk to them nearly every day, so I knew what they were doing. Cars were pulling up, but um, they were in my parcel charge, as it were, because they were all up the streets of the parish. It's also a condition of my license, yeah. so I can't refuse a fare. Yeah. So this is Can I think of another, I mean, another example from education, hasn't actually, but it could, that uh, because of safeguarding, if a girl was pregnant, I would be obliged to tell the deputy head because she's in charge of safeguarding. But the deputy head's policy would be to refer it on so they could be advised to have an abortion. <laughs> Am I therefore justified in not passing it on to the head when I know that would be the consequence? Which could happen, because that is the policy. I think you'd know that would be a possible outcome rather than a certain yeah. outcome. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes quite a bit of difference. Yeah. So you know she'd be advised that. Yeah, but that's. It's not so I think that's. If the rules of engagement of a taxi are actually you have no. Um, I've got no discretion. Really. No discretion. I think that affects your your role. So one of the things we'll look at here is actually the definition of the role of the person indicates their degree of responsibility or not. And you are remote, aren't you? Because they're not doing it in the taxi. 
Um, but but uh, but which actually I think that would make quite a bit difference. Um, but I think you'd also throw into play um, the gravity of the evil being cooperated with. So I think murder would blow the discretion question out of the water. Um, fornication is a grave sin, but it's not as grave as, as murder. But he's not saying that they're only talking about it. He is not seeing them do it. Yeah, but, but if he knows that, if he knows it's going to happen. If they disclosed that I'm participating in the commission of the sin by facilitating the, the transportation. Just put the sign up in the back of the taxi and do not tell me what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd rather that was the case. Yes. But you wouldn't be allowed to? You wouldn't be allowed to say that? No. Um, and how you'd be able to phrase that without putting off a lot of other customers. Yes, exactly. Okay, let, let's look at the description of what's going on here. So, back to page eight. Um, got a little block quote there in the section, section two, indirect or immediate. A block quote there trying to describe what that means. When the cooperator contributes only to the morally licit circumstances associated with the principal agent's act, and those circumstances are not essential to the principal agent's performance of the evil action, we can say that the cooperation is indirect or immediate material uh, and may be morally licit. So a prostitute doesn't need to drive to the location. If, you, if, you're gonna, if I'm going to defend this, I'd, I would defend it this way. I would say the prostitute doesn't need to drive there. It is contributing a circumstance, but not an essential circumstance. She could get a bus. She could walk. Um, you are facilitating it. You're making it easier. But it's not essential. I'm still going to think, but I'm just... <laughs> but these, these, are, these are the factors. Okay. I'm being paid for it. Uh, actually, I'm not sure that's that relevant. I'd be paid regardless of, of what the police is doing. Um, it's a public service vehicle. So that's, that's the contract. Actually, no, it, it, does, it is relevant in that what are you pursuing? You have a good you're pursuing, namely the salary. Um, if, if you didn't have a good you were pursuing and you were just giving her a lift and you knew what for, then actually this rationale is gone and you don't have a reason to be there at all. Um, okay, what we're wanting, what is permitted, is a cooperation that isn't formal, you don't will the evil, it is material, but somehow it's remote. There is a material cooperation, but it's remote. This is what's here in B. Remote or distant cooperation, which is always indirect, but is remote as well as being indirect. Then give two more sets of examples. Close, selling poison for a murder. I don't do the murder, but I sell you the poison to help you do it. Other example, holding a ladder for a burglar as he climbs up to a window for the purpose of the burglary. I'm not doing the burglary, I'm just holding the ladder, but that's close. Remote, 
Um, one example, working in a publishing house where some of the books published are contrary to the faith. Um, and then I've quoted a common principle that's articulated. A dealer may sell to all buyers things which are in themselves indifferent, though they can be put to a bad use, such as firearms. Now I think if you're wanting to justify it, you'd quote that principle. Um, that's from a, a respected preconciliar manual of moral theology. Okay, let's illustrate this with some examples, page nine. Example B, the a Nazi extermination camp. Um, now this is a good example, talk of the Nuremberg trials earlier, but a good example because there were so many different people who cooperated in different ways. But they didn't all cooperate equally. This is one of the things to be clear about. Nazi high command orders the gassing of Jews in concentration camps. The following offer material cooperation in the act, but each vary in the remoteness of their material cooperation. First, you have the guards that usher the Jews into the gas chamber. You know, they're only following orders. They've got nothing against Jews. They're just... But incredibly close. Second, the technician who turns on and off the gas. Now, actually, they didn't use a gas tap, but if we imagine that's what they did. You could just be a technician doing your job technically, the right amount of gas, the wrong amount of gas. Again, incredibly close. There'd be another technician, not as close, who maintains the gas machinery. But you're maintaining it to do an evil end maintaining only means something in terms of enabling it to do an evil task. There'd be a delivery man who delivers the gas to the concentration camp. Now you might imagine the delivery man has gas canisters, takes some to the hospital, some to the school, some to the concentration camp. Mm. They're all on his delivery loop. Cyclone B is just one. I know, but I'm just saying, if we imagine it this way, right, yeah. you, you have a, that's not as close, but again, I would say, too close to be materially um, licit. Then there were soldiers who escorted the Jews to the camp, not into the gas chamber, but to the camp. Not as close, but again, I would say, too close to be justifiable. Maybe more interestingly, the builders who built the concentration camp. So there weren't any Jews there yet. But they were building it to perform an evil task. The builders who built the gas chamber within the camp. And I think most enlighteningly, the manager of the company that obtains the contract to build the gas chamber. I don't, I don't intend that any Jews will die but I am going to design it perf perfectly for you to enable you to do it. That's not a morally valid distinction. That actually, even though the manager would be physically a long way off when it actually happens, morally, he's more closely involved than the soldiers who are actually pushing the Jews in there. Isn't that how Albert Speer was convicted? 
Okay, right. So now, actually, recently, the man that shuffled the paperwork was held to be guilty of the gassing of 42,000 Jews. Right. And it's all he did was compile the paperwork. Right. He was a clerk. Right. And that was his argument. Right. But he was found. Now, the reason I'm listing all of those is to point out there's different levels of closeness of cooperation. Though I think every one of these is not morally illicit. Um, so just because someone can say, well, I'm not as close as someone else, doesn't mean actually it therefore becomes permissible. We're speaking about this in, obviously in moral terms, in terms of right and wrong. But also, if, 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 if all these instances, if each individual came before a court, you, the, 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 level, the moral culpability would be reflected in the sentence they were given, wouldn't it? Well, the sentence would reflect the degree of moral culpability considered by the court, their proximity and their involvement. I imagine it would be, yeah. Um, um, but just because I'm a soldier in fear for my own life doesn't make it justifiable for me no. to... but actually they're both horrific yes. and both very close. There's just a tidiness in the manager's closeness, yeah. even though he's physically a long way off. Okay, moving on. Example C, an abortion caretaker cleaner. For example, a caretaker, a cleaner of an abortion clinic. The clinic needs to be kept clean in order to perform its function but its function is to perform evil, namely abortion. Is the cleaning of the clinic remote material cooperation, or is it close? Now, the good being pursued by the caretaker is a salary. Nothing wrong with that. You can be a cleaner in all kinds of places. In itself, it's not a bad job. But if we ask the question, can he obtain that by other means, it would seem yes, he can. And thus... I would say the cooperation could only be listed as a short-term transition. So imagine he's on some kind of generalised contract um, and he might have to clean that theatre as part of a, a package of cleaning a number of theatres in the hospital. Um, there would be a package where he could do that on a short-term basis while extracting himself. But generally speaking, I would say that would be close. But isn't as clear cut as some of those other issues. Example D, again with abortion, but the nurse. The nurse in an, oper an abortion operating theatre. The doctor needs nursing assistance in order to perform the abortion. That's why there are nurses. The nurse's cooperation is very direct and morally impermissible. And I've quoted one of numerous bishops' conferences to the same effect. 
proximate cooperation in abortion, such as that required of the operating team in the operating room, is never listed. Now, the English and Welsh bishops, in their doctrine cherishing life, give the next example, E. Abortion subservicing. A worker works in a company that supplies medical instruments. The company then starts to supply goods to an abortion clinic. And they say this might sometimes be permissible cooperation. So there's nothing wrong with producing medical equipment, nothing wrong with selling it. Um, but if your company, the company you work for, then starts also selling it for the evil use of abortion, um, you are cooperating, but it would seem not closely, but what you would have to assess would be some sense of how much of your company's involvement with abortion, does that dominate almost all of the company's activity and income, or just a small part of it? That that would change the, the remote closeness balance. And that might change over time. Why would the amount make a difference? Um, it's to do with remoteness. So if 1% of the company's activity is linked with abortion, then that means um, you're not generally about abortion. If 99% of it was about abortion and a small amount of it was for non-abortion use, then actually really what you're about is enabling abortion. Isn't there another difficulty we have, I think, for Catholics today in England is that we, we have got used to the notion that we are part of the society um, and are able to take part in all of society, whereas you wouldn't have to wind the clock that far back, even in England, before we would take it for granted that, well, Catholics just aren't part of everything in society, that we are forbidden by law to be in these different parts. As we see with Jews and Muslims in the National Health Service, for example, we know that the patient is Jewish, therefore they're not going to be part of this or do that or whatever. And the same with the uh, Jewish member of staff. We wouldn't expect them to be doing this because, but those exceptions are made 
people who's who make a, a noise about what they're allowed and not allowed to do by their or their conscience say, whereas Christians these days, generally speaking, seem not prepared to make a noise about what their conscience does or doesn't permit them to do. But when they no, no. But 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 I think what we as a general mentality need to get back to acquiring is the sense that actually because I'm a Christian there are things in society that I won't be able to do. So it's quite conceivable that um, 50 years from now there would be no Catholic doctors in this country um, if that's how being a doctor is defined by the law of the land. And to say, well, but actually there's so many good things a doctor can do. Well, if the law of the land has so corrupted the profession, then maybe all Catholics have to withdraw from it. I find it very interesting that what you're just saying about the um, way people either engage or, or withdraw. Um, people, Christian friends of mine, will say, How could you have been a chaplain in the military? You were involved in, yeah, I get this, um, yeah. you've been involved in something evil there. I said, Well, hang on a minute, I, I had a discussion with them. I said, but Can I just get you to stop you to get you to consider something? You will pay your taxes knowing that a proportion will be spent on defence. So, you know, you, you know that's the case. Um, so if you feel that strongly, that you shouldn't be involved, and I shouldn't be involved in defence, but you, you, but you clearly don't wish to be, then you should withhold a proportion of your tax. And the answer comes back, no, because if I, if I did that, I would have to go to prison. Right. Um, or I'd be prosecuted. I said, well, that is, the, that is the, the fallout from your moral position, right. if you pursue it. Though, we need to know, paying taxes is much more remote um, than yes. being a chaplain. Um, now, I think there's a confusion about the chaplain's role there anyway, but, but actually the, the remoteness or closeness is pivotal in assessing whether it's acceptable to cooperate. Um, and also the percentage of what a government spends its money on in its balance between doing evil with that money and doing good with it is also part of what we are cooperating in. So the more a government only does evil with its money, um, the harder it is to be a part of it in any sense. But it's okay, the notion that you can be morally pure. That's what I was trying to um, No, but we can be morally pure. That's... No, even, even, it, even this... The example I gave. Even this, if you are remotely materially cooperating, you are pure in the sense that there is no sin in what you are doing. You are cooperating in somebody else's evil. You are not doing evil. You are pure. Otherwise, we're down, we're down to the lesser two evils. I'm doing evil, but it's a lesser evil. Okay, I've only got a couple more points I want to say before we finish. Also on page nine, a completely different point to introduce here, the question of scandal. Even if the cooperation is only remote material cooperation, it might nonetheless be wrong if its appearance was such that it led another person to think that the evil deed was not evil, and thus led the person to commit this sin himself. And to the definition of scandal, what is it? It involves any influence of another person's will to sin, for example, by commands, advice, or praising, or in this context, our own example and witness. 
In the strict sense, cooperation is any action that enables another's sinful action without influencing their will. So scandal. I do something that I can justify as only being remote material cooperation, but other people see me as a practicing Catholic, known to be a practicing Catholic, working within this company that does abortion. And even though my relationship is actually within that whole mess remote, it appears to others as if I'm endorsing the whole package. And therefore the scandal factor means I need to withdraw myself. So this scandal isn't directly the same question, but it is related. Another two related points on page 10. Point six, what are called occasions of sin. Note the danger of occasions of sin. By continually placing yourself in a cooperating context, your will and conscience may be weakened, and you may come to will the evil. I, a Catholic should generally seek to extract himself from employment that regularly places him in such a situation, even if such occasions might otherwise be justifiable on a rare intermittent basis. Point seven, um, distaste. This is a different factor again. But a virtuous man will have a, a natural distaste for evil. This is a healthy thing and his instinct should be fostered. The more virtuous man will be less happy to cooperate in an evil than might be permissible. That the virtuous man won't just be asking himself what's permissible, but actually what's good. And he will feel a distaste. And that's a thing to be fostered in ourselves, um, rather than allow ourselves to be corrupted in that. Now the next few pages have a number of different examples. Um, I'm going to have to leave you to read those yourself. But um, the top of page 13, just very briefly, this is the example of the pharmacist in the morning after pill. I'm not going to go through it, but just to note that we need to define the pharmacist's role before we ask his responsibility and his cooperation. Um, and I suspect that's related to the taxi driver's role as well in thinking what is the responsibility. Um, and the example there, uh, and if you want a, a further example or further analysis, you could read um, Germain Grisey's analysis on this in volume three of his moral manual. Um, but he notes the difference between a pharmacist that owns his own pharmacy and a pharmacist that just works in somebody else's pharmacy. So if you own your own pharmacy, then actually you can only sell things there that are capable of a moral use. So if you sell, he gives the example of pornography, if you sell pornography in your shop, you might say, well, I don't intend anyone to use it. Well, actually, that's not a coherent um, position. If you're selling it, you have to be, if you're the shop owner, you're stocking it intending for people to use it. And pharmacists do make uh, 
distinct distinctions with what they will sell and what they will not sell all the yeah. time. Yes, that, 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 is, that is the pharmacist's role. Yeah, if you walk into a pharmacist and have cyanide, please, and you're not going to sell it to you. Or even if you walk into the pharmacist and ask for, for two packets of night nurse, because right. um, I want to be able to keep some in my uh, cupboard and not just use some now while I'm sick, they won't sell it to you. And that is the pharmacist's role to decide when not to However, go. there may be pressure on him from the uh, pharmacist's uh, professional association, I don't know what it is, to say, well, you know, you're not selling and support the patient, so therefore you're not fulfilling your professional role, therefore we're going to strike you off our list. Um, I do actually quote some of the things related to that on the, the pages there. So, uh, and that is a difficult position, but the Anscombe Centre has produced both some legal advice and some sample letters that a Catholic pharmacist could give to their employer um, in that regard. All right, so um, we, what we've looked at today is mortal and venial sin and the conditions of mortal and venial sin, um, to know when a sin is more serious and less. Um, we've looked at the general principle that the end doesn't justify the means so that even if I'm wanting a good outcome I can never do something evil to get there um, so that the lesser of two evils just isn't Catholic terminology and then this final session on cooperating in evil I don't do evil myself I'm doing good but I'm cooperating enabling someone else in their doing evil while I am pursuing good. Sometimes, if my cooperation isn't formal because I don't will it, it is material because I am engaged providing material stuff, it might nonetheless be remote and therefore be permissible. <laughs>